Welcome, welcome back to GEMS with Genesis Amaris Kemp. With me today is Dr. Robert Yoho, but he likes to be called Robert since he is retired. And here's a bit about Robert. He is 67 years old and calls himself a healthcare whistleblower. He practiced medicine in the United States and retired two years ago. So that was 65. Um, he was a broad certified he, no, he was a board-certified emergency physician and cosmetic surgeon. He has recently published two books, Butchered by Healthcare and Hormone Secrets. Dr. Yoho, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. And I, I, you have a wonderful name. I've never been interviewed by anyone with a name like that before. Thank you. So Dr. Yoho, um, Robert, let's start off by telling us why do you call yourself the healthcare whistleblower? And then just walk us through a bit of your journey. All right. So what, what happened to me was I was looking for a copy of my book, books around here, I guess. Oh, here, here's one. What happened to me was I originally got interested in uh, bioidentical hormones. And I, I, as a cosmetic surgeon, most of my patients were women. And as I matured, <laughs> I'm actually 68 now, I, you know, most of my patients were over 50. And they were being, many of them were being just tortured by menopause symptoms, they had hot flashes, and a lot of other things that were. And I so I learned about um, prescribing hormones to help treat them. And I felt responsible for it. And I, I basically just most of them, I just gave it to them for free. I mean, I, I gave my time for free. They paid me enough for the cosmetic surgery so I could afford it. Um, and I just saw wonderful results, but I kept reading about uh, false narratives uh, that I, I couldn't figure out why these things were labeled with uh, cancer and heart disease and strokes. And I started to dig into it. And I I realized that the medical industry had an interest in promoting Per, uh, proprietary or patent drugs. And they their, their prices are just outrageous for these things. And they run down, they collectively run down um, anything that competes with them. And you can't patent bioidentical hormones because they're part of, part of the human body. So I, I progressively got further and further into this. And then I started reading about healthcare corruption. And I, I, it was one thing after another, and it became, became an, a, an obsession for three to four years. And so I, I, I read sequentially about, um, you know, big pharma, and I read about the insurance industry, and I read about various medical specialties, uh, uh, corrupt practices. And I, I, can, I can summarize for you how the money goes around. And I mean, this is it's very hard to understand. It's just, you can't make this stuff up. Genesis. So unless you have another question or two uh, to start with, I can just um, talk a little bit about how, how the money goes around. Yes, I definitely want you to talk about how the money goes around. And then I will cycle back and ask you some questions because I want to keep the context there. So with the best of intentions, we rained money out of the sky on the healthcare system. So per capita, per person, our medical spending became twice that of any developed country. In other words, we spend twice per person what Canada, England, Australia spend on healthcare. And the total is about the same as the entire federal government now. It's $4 trillion we spend on healthcare. The federal government's tax revenues are $3.5 But of course, they're spending a lot of money that they didn't actually 
take in. So they're probably slightly bigger, but it's about the same size. And in return, we have gotten a product that is 50% ineffective or actually harmful. And this is not academically controversial. This is, many papers um, talk about this in the medical literature. And so the size of this thing, it, just to give you an idea, two tech companies alone have market capitalizations, which is a sum of all their stocks that are about the same as federal government spending. So the federal government is less less powerful and less able to regulate this industry than, than ever before. So pharmaceutical corporations violate more criminal laws than any industry in history as measured by their criminal settlements with U.S. federal prosecutors. The top 22 drug makers payoff since 2004 have their own Wikipedia page of shame, which you can search for uh, pharmaceutical company uh, federal uh, settlements. And I mean, it's outrageous. A former, I'm going to read a quote from a former Pfizer marketing vice president comparing drug makers to mobsters. It's scary how many similarities there are between this industry and the mob. Obscene amounts of money, killings and deaths, bribing politicians and others. The difference is all these people in the drug industry look upon themselves as law-abiding citizens. However, when they get together as a group, it's almost like when you have war atrocities, people do things they don't think they're capable of because the group can validate what you're doing is okay. That's from Peter Rost's whistleblower book, The Whistleblower Confessions of a Healthcare Hitman. And their attitude towards doctors and the rest of us is exemplified by another quote, which I, I live on quotes, Genesis, please forgive me for these quotes, but Harry Lloyd, who was a um, CEO of a pharmaceutical organization who promoted chloramphenicol, a drug which killed many, many children, said, if we put horse manure in a capsule, we could sell it to 95% of these doctors. They stopped promoting the drug only when it went off patent and became less profitable. The other part of this thing that fits into this is the Food and Drug Administration, the FDA, which is supposed to regulate these guys, has been entirely dominated by big pharma since the early 2000s when they started receiving the bulk of their funds through user fees that are paid directly by the corporations during the patent process. After this happened, they started to regard the pharmaceutical companies as clients rather than entities to, to be regulated. Let's so, pause there really quick yeah. um, and let this digest and marinate. So it sounds like the pharmaceutical companies are getting backing from certain people and that back, backing is monetary. So then versus trying to help people with certain things, they're pushing these pharmaceutical drugs. These drugs are linked to various side effects. Then once somebody has a side effect, they're giving them another drug to overcome that side effect. And it's just going around in a big old circle because they're more concerned with the money that they're getting to push these drugs. So pharmaceutical companies are getting these drugs, pushing it on off to doctors. Doctors are then pushing it off to patients because that's how they're getting their money and funding. Is that correct? You're, you're exactly on the right page, um, but you may not realize how bad it is. It's well over half of the FDA's funding comes directly from industry. It's a $5 billion budget. And it, when, 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 the, when that much money goes around, it can't be ignored. Even, a, even something like buying a dinner for a doctor can influence prescribing habits. But when when the FDA is funded over half by the 
drug companies directly, they become essentially a creature of the pharmaceutical companies and they have to be regarded. We, we hear these pronouncements by the FDA, but they are actually coming straight from big pharma. They are, they have to be regarded as um, entirely bought off by the pharmaceutical company interests. And we, we can't rely on them at all. Just like the other three letter, um, three letter agencies, the, the National Institutes of Health, NIH, and the World Health Organization, and so on, they, they are absolutely creatures or bought off by these financial interests, which have really, they have very little interest in whether we live or die or feel better. They'd rather produce something that works, but in the absence of that, they'll, they'll produce something that doesn't work and they will sell it um, through massive media campaign. And now we see censorship in, uh, in, in, in various uh, media forms, which is obviously industry derived. So then question there, Robert. So when did you dub yourself the healthcare whistleblower? And then thinking about when you first got in, involved in the medical industry, I'm sure you loved it because you went to school for it. And then at what point did you decide, like, I really don't like the politics and the stuff that is coming from the industry. And I feel it no longer connects with your morals, your values, and your integrity. So three-part question there. Genesis, that's a very, that's an excellent question. And I, I did love medicine. I had a, I had a, a, a great career. I, I've got a, a, you know, my resume is online. You can look at it. It's 20 pages long. Uh, and I, I enjoyed a lot of it. Um, hang on, let me just put this off. Sorry. I'll just shut this up. Um, anyway, um, as I uh, approached retirement, um, I had a series of problems, which you can read about in Butchered by Healthcare, which is my book. And I uh, began to read more about these uh, issues with the bioidentical hormones. And then I got into step by step into healthcare and all the problems with healthcare and began to see how I, I really thought I would find a can of worms, but what I found was a dumpster full of worms. And the whole thing has been so ruined with the financial interests that every, almost every step physicians take is, um, dictated by uh, uh, financial concerns. And, you know, the doctors mainly work for other people now, and they they have constraints on their behavior, the amount of drugs. There's a drug called a statin, which lowers cholesterol, which is almost completely ineffective that, you know, they they have, uh, you know, a certain percentage of your patients are supposed to be on statins. And if not, you get censured, maybe you get fired, especially if you do things that are out of the uh, usual um quote standard of care, which is established largely by the uh, pharmaceutical companies and the, and the other medical industry sources. So um, doctors are essentially sheep, and I'm really quite ashamed of their behavior right now, especially with regard to this, to this pandemic. I think that the, the truth is not getting out, and um, it's, it's, it's terrible. Well, there's a few of them that are doing very well, but to address your question, Yes, medicine is great. It's 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 a uh, uh, it's very rewarding. Doctors are largely idealistic. We do miracles, and I this all this negativity. I don't want to get around that and say we don't. And by the way, I forgot my uh, disclaimer at the beginning of the podcast. <laughs> you know, and I've got to do this because of all the lawyers and all the uh, litigation. 
So this is for informational purposes only. You, you can't regard this as general medical advice or specific medical advice. If you have problems, you need to see your doctor. Use this information at your own risk. I believe it. And my my books have 500 references each. So, uh, so I, I think it's heavily uh, supported. And I'm glad that you said you love medicine, but there are some parts in medicine that you do not like, which led you to really digging up and doing more research. And whenever you found out the ugly truth and the dumpster of the worms, then you became you became more, more grotesque with it. And thinking about you, because I know doctors surround themselves with doctors and other other people, especially whenever you're in a certain industry. Do you still have friends who are still practicing medicine? And how do they look at you now that you dub yourself the healthcare whistleblower? Has it created tension? Genesis, I'm a small fish. My friends understand it. And, uh, you know, some of my other friends, some of my other friends are no, fr no longer friends because they're, they, they kind of believe in, in, in the uh, current narratives, like almost a religious, with an almost religious fervor. But, uh, I, you know, my, since I've retired and been able to study full time, I've been able to uh, see things a little more clearly. And, you know, you cannot imagine how difficult it is to be a practicing physician. You are consumed with patient care. And since um, the Affordable Care Act and the uh, requirements for electronic medical records, you're not, you're not going to believe this, but 25 to 50% of practicing doctors' time is occupied by clicking boxes in order to get paid. And they go home at night, they don't have time for their families, and they try to catch up with all the paperwork, which is computer work now. Um, so it, it, it's crazy. You, as, as bright as we are, and we are, uh, we are probably the largest group of smart people in America. I mean, there are other groups, but they are, are not as select as we are. Um, at least not this large a, a group. Um, we, we still can't keep up with everything. You, you know, some of, some of my peers were uh, insomniacs and they could, they, they studied at night and they, uh, uh, they did all the work during the day. But um, for the most part, we're so occupied with the uh, problems and issues of medical practice that um, you, you hardly can get anything done. So then question there, Robert. So with with the way that things are moving right now in society and all the pressures and stuff. And then we're now in a period where it's called the great resignation, where people are just fed up with employers and they're walking out by not, not just the dozens, but more than dozens are leaving their jobs because they're just so fed up of what employers are doing to them. And I want you to talk about what made you get into the cosmetic surgeon? And then what was your breaking point where you said, you know what, enough is enough. I'm retiring. I'm hanging up my, my white coat. Okay. So the last question first, I'm not a courageous guy, Genesis, but I, it was time to quit. The average doctor quits at 65 and I was average, right? The whistleblowers in medicine have largely been retired medical journal editors. And these people really t tell the truth. Uh, we have this uh, woman, Marcia, Marsh, Marcia Angle, who was the former editor of the New England Journal of Medicine. We have Richard Smith, who was at the BMJ. These people uh, tell how bad the whole thing is. And my work is entirely derivative of of efforts of people like that. And Norton Hadler, these, these people are brilliant. And, um, but most of us uh, don't say a peep until we, until after we retire when they can't uh, do anything to us. So, um, 
So that that's kind of the scoop. And I, I've got a lot more to say about medical industry, but what was the first part of your question again? So the first part of my question was, what made you get into cosmetics um, right. surgery in comparison to all the other avenues you could have went into? Okay. Now, to be frank about this, um, and whenever anybody prefaces uh, something with, say, when they say to tell the truth, you have to think about whether they're telling the truth or not, right? Um, but it, it was, I had a career in emergency medicine, and this thing seemed more economically uh, viable. And in the end, it turned out, it turned out to be jumping out of the frying pan into the hottest fire I've ever had. And there, there's problem after problem after problem, the, the, uh, the patients uh, sue you and they demand their money back and this and that and the other thing. And I thought I'd make a lot of money, but it ended up, I made a comfortable living and I'm able to retire on a low budget. And I, what I found out when I retired was you need a heck of a lot less money than you ever thought you did. So I, I, I didn't get rich and uh, that maybe was my original motivation. Mm, okay. And I'm glad that you told the truth because sometimes I've, no, no, seriously, because sometimes I feel like doctors, nurses, nurse practitioners, and et cetera, sometimes they do things for the money. And then whenever they're doing it for the money, the patient care suffers in return because they're so money driven that they fail to realize that you took an oath. You wanted to be a doctor. You wanted to be a nurse practitioner. You wanted to be a nurse or you wanted to work in healthcare as a whole. So why aren't you passionate about it? Are you chasing the dollars trying to secure the bag? Or do you actually want to go in and make an imprint in order to leave an impact? Once again, that's exactly the, that is that you put your finger on the center of the whole problem. And, and the, the money has been so we rain so much money out of the sky on this industry that that the financial interests entered the picture. And initially, you'd probably call them entrepreneurs entrepreneurs, right? But when you really look at them closely, there are a bunch of crooks. And uh, I mean, I, I, I can't tell you how contemptuous I am of, of, uh, of how my colleagues have buckled their, uh, their ideals and folded themselves into this financial model. I mean, I'm older. So I come from a, a different era when it wasn't quite so dominated. By, but the last 20 years, um, the, the, the money started to dominate the whole thing. And uh, I, you should let me go into the other uh, parts of uh, the medical industry so the the listeners will understand the whole thing. So go into it briefly, and then whatever we don't cover, we'll bring you back for a part two. Okay. So the FDA and the pharmaceutical companies working together basically have shamelessly faked their studies for about 20 years. And the, the another quote, which is from Peter Gercha, one of the founders of Cochrane Reviews, which is one of their most respected sources in medicine. He wrote, the pervasive scientific misconduct has led to a research literature where one has to dig deeply to find a few gems among all the garbage. And what he was referring to was statistical ma manipulation, hiding studies that don't promote drug marketing, use of contract research groups in other countries, and many, many, many other frauds. The medical journals, even the most prestigious ones, are now entirely in the service of the medical industry. 95% of their articles are ghostwritten by corporate ghostwriters. Journal editors should be the ultimate scientific referees, but they're paid tens of thousands to hundreds of thousands of dollars each directly by the corporations. These academics are only human, however qualified and decorated they are. Currently, the way we take care of this, in theory, is declare 
quote, conflicts of interest. But this does not cleanse the filth from the process. No government or law institution would ever put up with any of this. They would fire people or even criminally prosecute them if they did stuff the way the medical academics um, do. Now, study frauds are everywhere, and a sophisticated observer can easily find study frauds. For example, the sophisticated observers who looked at the COVID vaccine uh, studies found that they concealed, for the most part, concealed hospitalization rate, which is a critical metric. And so one of my friends, I asked him, I said, you, what do you think this vaccine works? He says, yeah, it works a little bit, maybe for two to four months. But I can't really tell for sure because I don't have the full data. Well, when I don't have the full data, I assume that I, I prefer Nietzsche's interpretation. He said, I'm not upset that you lied to me. I'm upset that from now on, I can never believe you. And these pharmaceutical companies have lied over and over and over again, as their criminal records attest. So that's, that's essentially the nutshell of the, of the, uh, the medical industry. I mean, it, it's a mess. And thank you for coming on and sharing your insight and just talking about it and just giving us a little more insight to the healthcare whistleblower that you're dubbed. And I want you to wind down by telling the listeners and viewers who you are, how they could connect with you on social media and leave us with one to two gems. And remember, the mission behind gems is to educate, motivate and inspire. Well, uh, thank you, Genesis. I'm uh at robertyohoauthor.com. And you can pick up half of my books and half of the audio there, no charge. Uh, this is not a money-making operation for me. And the gem I want to leave you with is just because I'm negative doesn't mean there aren't miracles in healthcare. I mean, there are miracles every single day. And I don't want you to go away with this uh, from this uh, session with the idea that uh, no doctor can be trusted and, and all healthcare is bad. I I've, have examples in my book of uh, wonderful uh, uh, surgeons and other healthcare providers who do miracles daily. So that's my, that's my message. And there you have it, listeners and viewers of GEMS with Genesis Amaris Kemp. You just heard Dr. Robert Yoho, aka the healthcare whistleblower, and he debunked some, some things on today's show. He will definitely be back for a part two so we could get deeper into this discussion and we could really understand what is bioidentical hormones, why does he feel the way he does, and what really... Um, led him up to his amount of success that he sees today. But stay tuned for part two. And until we chat next time, peace, love, and lots of blessings. Remember, knowledge is power. Learning is equal to you growing. And wisdom is key. So never forget those things. And remember that you were created for a purpose. You are here for a purpose. So don't allow your light to dim because others can't stand to be illuminated. Thank <laughs> you.